coming. And Lord, let us be the church, Lord, that sees, uh, Lord, the, the kingdom of God expand like it's never done before. God, we would be so invested, Lord, in your soon coming return, God, that we would give all that we have uh, to your church and your kingdom. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, we started a series last week called God's Last Day Forecast, uh, that God has in his plan set a time that he is coming back. But for his church, while the world may be unaware, his church, he has set uh, signs and seasons. Uh, if you think about it this way, it's weather patterns uh, to uh, help us to know uh, that he's coming back, to remind us, to stir us up about the prophecies of old and the things that the apostles told us, to remind us he's still coming. He's still coming. And uh, I know all of you are big Groundhog Day celebrators this week. Uh, you know, it's a big thing in, in this country. I don't know if you all celebrate Groundhog Day. But every morning on February 2nd, each year, you know, a swarm of people and reporters descend on uh, the town of that famous groundhog in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney Phil. There's even a movie about it. Uh, news goes across the country. This little furry animal, this rodent weasel that comes out of there, uh, sees whether or not he sees his shadow, so whether or not we can know to expect six more weeks of winter. Folk, uh, folklore tells us that if it's cloudy and a groundhog emerges from his burrow, uh, then spring will come early. If it's sunny, the groundhog will supposedly see his shadow and retreat back into his den, and winter weather will persist for six more weeks. If you ask me, that sounds kind of backwards, but anyhow, that's what they said. Unfortunately, studies have shown that these groundhogs are only 39% accurate, yet we still continually listen to them. <laughs> uh, no talent at all to predict the weather, apparently. But, you know, since ancient times, you know this groundhog thing started a long, long time ago. Uh, but, you know, people have always wanted to know what's coming, right? Even before we had weather models, uh, apparently we would go to weasels and, and ask them if winter would be around the corner or not. Uh, but, you know, it's no different in the day of Jesus when you think spiritually. Even when Jesus walked this earth, they were asking him, before he even left, when are you coming back? You know, when, when is this whole thing going to end? Man, life is crazy. Uh, you know, if you even compare the first century to today, you know, the, the powers of this world are running this place into the ground. There's violence, there's murders, there's wars, there's rumors of wars. The, it seems like the church has gone into uh, passivity that nobody's really worshiping God like they used to anymore. And these are the same days as Jesus, and they're asking him, when will we have peace? Man, how many people want some peace? When will I have real joy? When will I have real victory in my life? And when can I get through all of this junk? I'm ready for this stuff to be over. Anybody ready for all this stuff to be over? That's the same thing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Mark chapter 13, verse 5. When is this thing going to be over? God, when are you coming back? And, and we really want to know the future. We really want to know what's coming up ahead. And last week we talked about uh, Noah, that the days, uh, the last days will be as the days of Noah. And if we are going to see through that there are days like Noah, we need to become like Noah who made it through those last days and built something for God's kingdom. He built a vessel of salvation, but he was a preacher of righteousness. And he, he uh, if you, if you aren't, weren't here last Sunday, go online, listen to that message uh, about what we have to become as uh, people of God. But today we're going to talk about 
last week we talked about kind of a what we had to do uh, to get through those last days in the church that we have to become. And this uh, morning we're going to kind of continue on with that. This is about what God said He will do. If we do our part, God will do His part. Amen? And uh, let's read this morning, Mark chapter 13, verse 5. I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, today. And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am He, and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened or afraid. Those things must take place, but that is not the end yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. These are merely the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts. You will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And when, he didn't say if, he says when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry. <laughs> and you, some of you are thinking like I'm thinking, yeah, right, right? <laughs> do not worry beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. Lord of mercy, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, and because but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I tell you what, when you read passages like this, God's last day forecast to many people sounds like six more weeks of winter, right? It don't sound good. It, it, it's a bad weather prediction. It's bad news. It means more time on this cursed earth. It means more time that I have to spend in a world full of disease and death and discouragement and defeat. And we would say, come Lord Jesus, why do we have to go through all of this? Why uh, and how are we going to go through a time where they're going to arrest us? They're going to persecute us. Our families will turn against us. And why in the world would anybody want to do that? And why in the world would you sign up to do such things? There's this groaning that we feel. Romans 8 tells us that, this, that all of creation, since, Jesus, uh, since this world has come into sin, and, and sin is continuing to multiply, and it's like a cancer that just continues to get worse. And it doesn't just affect uh, us, it affects the entire world. It affects even the earth and the ground uh, that we have, that God even cursed the ground, uh, thorns and thistles it would produce, you know, uh, pain is enduring. And it says in Romans that all of creation groans and suffers, even we as believers, it says that we suffer and we wait uh, for Jesus Christ to turn, that we have this anxious waiting because we know that only God can set things right. Only God can do that. And so we're looking for this anticipation, this peace that Jesus, would you please come and uh, finalize this deal you talked about and remove the final curse and the consequences of sin. But how do you today, here at Central Louisiana in 2016, how do we go through life's tribulations and tests and trials? Uh, how do you do this knowing that Jesus is away at this moment and that He is coming back? But have you ever wondered, you know, God, where are you? God... I don't know if I can do this, or how am I going to get through this? This is a hard year for me, God, or, 
or Lord, have mercy. I don't think I can take anything else. Or, uh, you know, why am I going through this? And God, can you even help me? And God, do you even hear me? Sometimes, and I'm going to switch it on us like this. I believe sometimes we are so focused on the groanings. It says there's everything's groaning. We're so focused on the groanings of, oh, my job or oh, my marriage, or oh, this situation, or oh, my work, or my vacations, or my hobbies, or oh, this, this pain that I'm going through, which is very real. All those things are very real. We must uh, work on our jobs. We must work on our marriages. We must do those things. But are we groaning more over the pains of this world, or are we groaning with expectation that He's coming back? And it's all about how we have our minds set. Are we so full of the groanings of this world Or are we so full of the groanings that Jesus Christ is the answer and He's our redemption and He's coming very soon? And there is good news for us that that Jesus says He's returning at a time when the world was not expecting Him. But there's good news that those who realize that His word is true and the good news is He will return. He will return. There's not an if or when, or, or a maybe, or a perhaps, but He will return, and He's left us this Holy Spirit to remind us of this promise of His power for His church. And I'm going to tell you what, God's last day forecast, while it may be winter and six more weeks of winter for this world, it's revival for His church. God's weather prediction for His church is, while even though this world is going through toils and trials and and focused on the cares and it's groaning with all the pain and the consequences of sins and marriages are falling apart and families are breaking apart and there's wars, there's earthquakes, there's famines, there's pestilence. Meanwhile, if you look at this passage, meanwhile, the church is in revival. That is the forecast for you and I today that God is saying and telling us today, church, I'm about to stir you up because these last days are getting darker and darker and you're about to get brighter and brighter. And we got to be a people ready to be moved by God, fanning in the flame like we talked this morning, that it takes a movement of something that we do in our part for that wind to blow. And God is the wind. But he honors some movement. He honors a people saying, yes, God, I'm willing to go. Yes, God, I'm willing to be persecuted. Yes, God, I'm willing to be slandered. Yes, God, I'm willing to be ostracized. I'm willing to give up my power, my rights, my authority, that, God, you would get the glory out of my life. And when we get to that place, it says the Holy Spirit's going to begin moving and speaking and coming in power. Now, look at this this morning. We're going to break this out just in two simple things. His love... And His power. There are two parts of this revival I believe that God wants to expound on today. That the good news for His church is the last day's forecast is revival. It's His light shining in the darkness. It's a new life resurrected out of death. It's the healing of our disease. It's joy in our sorrow. It's a song of victory in life's defeat. And we have to realize that, number one, you and I have a love that has been poured out that's deeper than the oceans. It overflows the oceans. That's the love that you and I have and that we have a power in you today. There is a power living in you that will raise you up even after death and bring life into your mortal bodies. And it's not only a physical power for physical uh, change, but it's a spiritual power that gives eternal life into your, your very soul. That's the power that he wants his church to tap into this morning. It's not just something, oh, Lord, send the power just now so we can get slain on this floor. It's a power that shakes the universe. It's a power that brings life into death. Amen? Amen? Somebody with me this morning? 
We have a love and a power. God's last day forecast is revival. Let's look at his love this morning. His love. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 is a, is a parallel to what we read this morning. But it says this. He says, Jesus in the same passage at the same time was saying, Because lawlessness is increased in these last days, most people's love will grow cold. Everybody say cold. Cold, kind of like the weather is right now. In the last days, because of all this craziness that's going on, love will grow cold. It will be a loveless and a godless day ahead. It's only going to get worse. It's even going to be less love and less God in the world today. And we look with this world today, we say, hey, look at all the things that are happening in our country. Look at how much God is being pulled out. He told us that 2,000 years ago. It was coming. It's been coming for a long time. And we look like we're surprised. That's not the problem. That's not what we're focused on. We're focused on the opposite. We get so groaning over all the negativity, but we should be groaning in anticipation that Jesus is coming and we've got all the love and power we need to accomplish the mission he set before. Somebody say amen. amen. Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul just tells us this thing. He says to his son Timothy in the faith, in 2 Timothy 3, 1, he says, man, th- these things are going to be getting more and more difficult. There's going to be more violence, more murder, more teenage rebellion in the last days than there's ever been in the history of the world. He says, there's going to be a time where people no longer trust one another. Where you could walk down the street and you didn't care if your kids walked down the street anymore. There's going to be a day where you wouldn't let your kids go out in the backyard to play because you don't know what's going to happen to them. You're not going to trust that car salesman anymore. You're not going to trust even your neighbor anymore because you don't know who's doing what and who's on what registry or who's where or is that, who is those people. There's just going to be this coldness because fear is going to captivate the entire world. It doesn't even say that it has to be true statistics. It's not about you. If you look in America today, there's actually less crime. But you know there's more fear. Why is that? There is a a spirit of fear that has come over the world in the last days. We see it through this multimedia that we have today where there can be... It doesn't matter what's true or not. Fear is being perpetuated. The love of people is growing cold. And that's never been possible to see a global fear until these last days that we live in today with technology. Now, that's biblical prophecy. Now, it's coming to life even as we're speaking today. It says that uh, Paul tells Timothy, hey, people are going to love themselves. Uh, They're going to love money more than anything else. They're going to have no self-control. They're going to be treacherous. They're going to love pleasure more than God. They'll have no sense of holiness whatsoever. And they'll really hate what is good. Man, if that's not true today. He says there's going to be people who are prideful and conceited and ungrateful and malicious gossips. And nobody's thinking about their coworkers right now, I know. He says it's going to be a loveless and a godless world that my church is going to rise up in. There's going to be a deep hatred of Christianity in the last days, he tells Timothy. Families will even, or he tells us in Matthew and Timothy, that families will even persecute their own even to the point of betraying them to death in some cases. Never before have we seen such a global hatred of Christianity for no valid reason whatsoever. This is biblical prophecy. This is coming to light in these last days, that there is a deep fear and a distrust of individuals, a lovelessness that nobody really cares for their neighbor anymore, and Christianity has got a target on its back. And he's telling us that this is the day that I'm going to pour out my spirit and just like the days of Elijah and Noah before, that people are really going to become mighty men and women of God. And and you might think, you know, and I was beginning to read over this and research this. You might think like me, like, 
Lord, I got my own problems. I don't need anybody else's. I don't need any more problems than what I got right now. I don't need any more persecution or slander or malicious gossips than I have right now. Or, or who in the world needs all of that stuff, God? Why don't I just keep my head down, get a good job, live a good life, keep my family safe, go to church, and wait for you to come? Really? I mean, come on, anybody? You, you kind of be honest this morning, and we say, why invite more pain and suffering than I have right now? I already need enough. I don't even have enough peace as it is, right? Look with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. How do we have God's love in loveless days? Think about this for a minute before we go on. How do you have God's love in loveless days when people are no longer lovable? How do you have God's love? How do we be a church and a people, individuals, if you are the only one in your context and your environment and your workplace or your school or your, uh, your place of business? Uh, how do you be a person that doesn't follow the trend? And how do you overcome such godless and loveless people in these last days? Look with me at Romans 5, verse 3. Paul is writing at the, towards the end of his life, going, he wants to get to Rome. And he writes this, he says, And not only this, but we exult or exalt in our tribulations, or we worship, uh, we praise God in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Now, in that passage, right now, I know some of you are thinking, what in the world was Paul smoking? Just be honest. Paul, I guarantee you, tribulation doesn't make me have better character, right? When I'm persecuted and attacked and slandered and stabbed in the back and my life is falling apart, that's not when my character really shines the best, Paul. I mean, come on, why would I have more hope and more perseverance? And I would just be like, yes, Lord, hallelujah, singing me some tribulation. I mean, what in the world is this guy thinking? No, I don't need any endurance. Thank you. I, I've got to, you know, like, keep it to yourself, Paul. But look at verse 5. Let's finish it out. Verse 5, it says, And hope does not disappoint because, here's it, here it is, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot love anybody like God loves them. You can't do it yourself. It is not something that you can build up. It's not something that you can do. It's not something uh, that we can muster up within ourselves to get some ooey-gooey uh, goosebumps over a person who's talking and cussing us out and stabbing us in the back and trashing us down the street. You can't love a person like that. Only God can. And it says that it has to come from a Holy Spirit that has been put down deep inside of you, that has taken full authority over your life. And when that Holy Spirit begins to take over you, you begin to get this sense of worship in seasons of trials and tribulations and testings. When it seems like life is not very enjoyable, that's actually the moment the Holy Spirit can move in you, if you allow Him to, by the way, to begin to worship God and get this love that doesn't come from you or your way that you love people, but begins to come from God Himself. That it's God who begins to love people through you. He says it comes, it's poured out within your hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who was given to you. Meaning, you've already got the Holy Spirit, but you have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pour out in your heart, meaning your heart's got to get empty of some things that the Holy Spirit can fill your heart up and begin to overflow. That overflow begins to fall into other people. So it's not your love he builds. God does not use your foundation of love. Let me just get that clear. Your foundation of love, you know what it has to do? It has to die. You, you can't, God's not going to build on your kind of love. It's not going to come from what you can muster up with within you. And actually, Paul would tell us, he says, you know what? You've got to die daily. You've got to crucify the flesh. And a lot of times, we love things through the flesh. Man, I love soccer. I love baseball. I love football. I love uh, pierogies. Or I love gumbo. I love, you know, kittens or puppies. Or We love a lot of things, right? But that has to die. I love this opinion. Or I love that guy who's talking on that political stance. Or I love this. Or I love that. I love this. All of those things die. Our love actually dies. It's not our love anymore. And the Holy Spirit's love is what begins to pour out from us. And a lot of times I think we get ourselves in so much trouble is because we've allowed God to begin to build on a foundation of our love. But you know what happens? When you get persecuted and trialed in tribulation, it crumbles because the foundation was built on fleshly love, not God's love. And so before you even begin to love other people, your love has to die. Now, I believe that's a word for somebody this morning because it's got to be heavenly love. You can't love your spouse out of your own love. You've got to love them through God's love. You can't love that neighbor, that coworker, that person who's stabbing you in the back. Lord, help us through your love. That person who trash talks you or runs your name across the town. You can't love, you can't love them. You can like them. You can do things for them. You can fake yourself out. But you can't really do it until God begins to do it through you. And so he says, this is something that's going to begin to happen in these last days. When there is a loveless world and there's no way to love anybody anymore, there's going to be a love that is known through the church. And he says, what? I'll know, you'll know them. They'll know you by what? His love, my love for one another. And what is love? There's a song. I'm not going to quote it. What is love? His heavenly love is this. If you look at Scripture, it says this, that His love is better than wine. It's as strong as death. His love is living, Scripture says. It is the greatest of things, the psalmist declares. His heavenly love, Paul says, is patient and kind. His heavenly love is trusting and humble and modest. It's an attractive kind of love, Scripture tells us, that it's a love that seeks to benefit others. It's a love that forgets past wrongs. It's a love that rejoices in righteousness and truth alone. It's a love that can bear all things. It's a love that can believe all things. It hopes all things. It's a love, get this, His love can endure all things because His heavenly love, it never fails. It's love. His is a love. It's a type of love that allows us to uh, fulfill His law, His commands to obey Him. And His love is a type of love that even enables you to grow in relationship with Him. And I'll tell you this, some of you uh, try to love God on your own means. But again, you're building on false type of love. You're building on fleshly love. You cannot actually love God because God has to give you the gift and the ability to even love Him. You know, you're not even saved on your own works or by your own. You didn't even come to God on your own. And so you can't love God on your own. You've got to begin to kill everything in you that God begins to pour out His Holy Spirit. And you can't even grow in relationship and a love relationship with God until you're dead And God's actually, in a way, loving himself through you. Now, 
that's what the Paul and, and these apostles are declaring, that they had to completely die to really figure out, man, the Holy Spirit's bringing to revelation how awesome God is. Man, the Holy, Spirit in, the Holy Spirit's bringing into awareness how much God has loved me, how much God has done for me. I didn't figure it out on my own. The Holy Spirit prompted me with that to say, wow, I've never read that before. His grace never fails. His love never fails. His mercy endures forever. Man, I really understand what that means now because the Holy Spirit is moving in me to tell me how much God loves me. You can't just do it on your own. In these last days, more than now than ever, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pour out on ourselves, the church, that we've got to let the true love of God manifest itself in us because God is love. How do we have love in these loveless days? The simple answer, have God in you. Have God in you. Jesus says, have peace, don't fear. You're going to have tribulation in this world, but I have overcome the world. You know, we, we look in these last days and we think, oh man, this fear is captivating everyone. And, you know, God, what is going to happen to the economy? God, what about our jobs? What about all these things? You know, and fear involves punishment, John tells us. But when love is perfected, it casts out all fear. We can't be fearful in these last days. We can't be loveless in these last days. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us knowing that we are not remaining on this earth suffering because God does not love us. Let me tell you that again. You are not here suffering today because God doesn't love you or that the love of God hasn't been poured out for you. God loves you. And in that love, it doesn't matter. His love will endure all things. It's an enduring love. And that love inside of you, uh, no matter what you're going through, you should be able to feel the Holy Spirit churning and growing. And, and we say, God, take all this fear, take all this loveness, this callousness of this world, all this disbelief, this faith, all this sin of this world. Take it out of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, so I can really know that you are with me, that I have peace, that I know that I've overcome these things. And God, I can have victory. We are not on this earth to suffer because God doesn't love us. I'm going to ask you a question today, a very serious question. Would you be able to say today if, if God would give you the choice, if he would tell you today, sir, ma'am, son, daughter, I'm going to give you the choice. Today you can either be with me in paradise or you can remain on this world. What would you do? Would we take the easy way out and go to heaven now? Or would we remain in this crazy, sinful, painful world choosing to stay? I think that many parts of us, and, and, and even me myself, would want to say, yes, Lord, please, take me to heaven now. Some of us might say, those of us younger ones, our youth perhaps would say, Lord, I really want to have that job or finish that thing or really I don't want to leave my family or I want to do this before I die and all these types of things. But how many of us would say to God, God, let me stay so I can tell others about your love. You see, the only reason we are here, church, the only reason you are suffering in this place today is to tell other people about his love. God is allowing His church to suffer in these last days as He suffered so that we would remain just a few more hours to tell some more people. 
God loves the world so very much that he would endure all kinds of pain and suffering to tell them. And we could say to a God today, God, I want the easy way out. God, I, I want to just get done with this. Or we could say, God, I, your love is so manifested in me. God, your Holy Spirit is so full of me. God, I really understand this love thing. God, I really get how much you loved me. And that motivates me, God. Let me stay. God, let me stay. Even if I have to endure pain and suffering. God, even if my life falls apart and, and things don't go my way, God, even if it seems like I don't know if I'm going to make it through tomorrow, God, I know that I want to stay because the only reason I'm here today, God, is to tell people about your great love. I think that's the type of church he's looking for in this last days. Yeah, we're anticipating his eager return, but church, we're, are we enduring it in the love of God? You see, the Bible tells us that His love endures forever. And if God has an enduring love for the lost, and if God is in us, so here's God and His enduring love, and if that God becomes in us, am I not a person who will endure for the love of the lost? If God is an enduring love and God is in us, how do I not have an enduring love in me? Or is my love been built on fleshly love? Is it been built on, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I want, I need, give me. Or is it, God, I've been poured out as a drink offering for you. God, I'm willing to, like Paul said, endure the fellowship of your sufferings, if by any means I might just to get to know you more, just to have that deeper relationship with you. What crazy person would want to stay on this earth, church, and endure. And how could you even do it? I'm going to tell you, there are many will fall away in the last days because they cannot endure. Why? They do not have His enduring love. We have received new life. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can understand the depths of His love. That love abides in us. It causes us to love Him. It causes us to love others. And because we realize He has first loved us, we can truly love others. When we get the Holy Spirit in us, we can get to that place where we say, I really never really even knew how much I was loved until I understood the truth of the story or the true story that Jesus Christ came to die for me. I never really knew love until I knew Jesus until I understood that He came to this earth and He left His abode in heaven and gave up His authority and, and died for me. I never knew that, but now I'm in confidence. I have confidence that that love, that even into the point of death and trials and tribulations, even seemingly defeat in this last days, God, I am willing to endure because I am secured in Your enduring love. That's the kind of revival that God is waking up His church to. It may not be what we think about revival, but it's a time where his church says, God, it's your love. It's your love. I can have love in this loveless day. Second part to this great revival is the one that we like to talk about is his power. His power. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21, verse 12. His power. Before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogue and prisons, bringing you before the kings and governors for my name. It'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Make up your mind. Prepare not to defend yourselves. 
I will give you an utterance and a wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Somebody say amen. Today, Christian business owners of America and Europe, they're testifying in courthouses, sued for their biblical principles. Many have been fined, losing their savings, their houses, their jobs. If you go to China today and other communist countries, there are churches hindered by the control of the state. There's pastors that have to approve their sermons before they preach them. There's people who are being persecuted for giving Bibles and making converts. Some of them in these communist countries are beaten and threatened with jail. Some in prison for years and some even executed. Today in the Middle East, in India and Africa, many men and women, even children, are being beheaded for the cause of Christ. Crucified in the streets, dragged into the streets by terrorist mobs, some stripped naked, some raped, some beaten, some whipped, some dragged behind cars, some burned for their faith. It is estimated that every five minutes, Christian freedom tells us that a Christian is killed for their faith. Every five minutes is the latest estimate. And over 200 million Christians face persecution in over 105 countries in the world today. How do you endure such times? How do we endure such things? We can say, yes, God, I have love, but man, I am so very weak. God, I have love, but man, I am so very weak. Jesus says when they arrest you and when they beat you, it'll be a testimony. He says, don't worry what you're going to say. Say whatever is given to you through the Holy Spirit. You know, this is an awesome uh, dualism, a contrast in here. It says, in a prideful world where men are building up their own power and exalting themselves, there'll be a church that will humble themselves and the power of God will fall. While man is trying to exalt himself, those who humble themselves, God will lift them up when they rely on him and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know this, church, God always resources his mission. You want God to bless your life, get involved in his mission. You want God's security, his, his blessing, whether it be financial or emotional or whatever it may be. You want God to be sure to meet your needs. You better get involved in his mission of the last days. It's not about coming and listening to a sermon. It's about being invested in the kingdom of God that's about to come to this earth. It's about being a part of a last day's revival that God is about to shake the nations through. And it may not be, he may not make the news. It may not be but a group of people out in a a woodshed in the middle of the country, but the power of God is about to fall on a people who are saying, God, I'm getting your love, now send us your power. God always resources his mission. I think about uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and and, uh, uh, John had healed this lame man, and the Bible tells us now that 5,000 people had converted, and these Sadducees, this religious elite who are pressured by Rome, they arrest them and they ask them, they say, by what power or authority have you done these things? And it says, and uh, Luke writes to us, he says, then Peter, filled with the Spirit, began to preach Jesus Christ. And, he, and in, that, in that moment, they noticed this boldness. This, there's something about these people. They've been with Jesus because there's a power living within them that is not of this world, and they recognize it. And so they threaten them, but yet it doesn't stop them. They, they threaten Peter and John, and they release them, and immediately Peter and John go uh, a couple blocks away, and they call a prayer meeting. And in that prayer meeting, here's what they pray in verse 29 of Acts chapter 4. They say, God, O oh Lord, hear these threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in our preaching and your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. 
May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, it says, The meeting place was shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Peter understood divine power was needed to expand his church. And basically what they were saying, they're saying, God, we know what we got to do. We got to preach the gospel. But it says, God, when we preach the gospel, when we do our part, God, and we're willing to be persecuted, and you hear their threats, God, we're enduring it. But, God, when you, we do our part, God, please do your part. God, we'll preach, but, God, you show up in power. God, we'll go the distance. We'll endure. We'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll, not, say, we'll not be backing down, God. We're going to face this head on. We're going to go. And when we do our part, God, then you, God, please do your part. It says the house was shaken, and the Lord filled them with power. That's the kind of thing. The power doesn't come first. The power comes after a people who are saying, God, I'm willing to preach and he says, now here's the power. God, I'm willing to go and fulfill the Great Commission. Now here's the power to do the job. You've got to have power to live in these last days. It's got to be a power over sin and Satan and death. We have that, the power of the Holy Spirit to give to us that we can preach without fear because you and I know today that we've been adopted as children and heirs of the Almighty God who reigns in all authority and power. That's the kind of power you have. It's power from heaven that is real. I think about in October 2015, students were in the classroom in Oregon's uh, community college. A shooter entered the building and ordered the students to get on the ground, and reports tell us that he told them to stand up and state their religion, and one girl reported, and they would stand up, and he said, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second, and he shot them. Last year, October. How many say, God, I'm willing. Give me the power. Are we so focused on the groanings of this world? Are we saying, God, my redemption draws near? God, I'm not loving out of my love. God, give me your love. That's the only kind of way I'll endure this stuff, God. And I'm willing to stay. God, if it takes me enduring this stuff, I'm willing to stay. God, that people might know. And God, and I'm going to go, God. And I know it's going to hurt, and I know it's not going to be easy, and this world is not offering. You, you promised me, God, tribulation. You told me, God, it's going to be hard on my marriage. It's going to be hard on my kids. It's going to be hard to, Lord, even to go anywhere. There's going to be lovelessness and godlessness in these last days. But, God, your love endures in me. I'll make it. And, God, I'm willing to go. And he says, all right, church, when you're ready to go, then you're going to see the power of God fall like you've never seen it fall before. You're going to begin to speak things of the Holy Spirit. You didn't even have a thought to think. The Holy Spirit's going to give you words to convert that coworker. He's going to begin to move in power in your prayer meetings from your kids to your youth. Young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. It's going to just explode in these last days because while there is a, a loveless and a godless, powerless world, they're going to see a church rise up with full of love and power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from any man exalting himself, but it comes from a people getting on their knees and saying, God, I can't do it without you. God, I know you're coming. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done right now on this earth in my life for your glory. For me to live is Christ, Paul said, to die is gain. Why would we want to do this? Why would we want this kind of revival? Because Paul tells us in Romans 8.11, he says, Because if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if he dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through that same Spirit who dwells in you. Man, 
I want the Holy Spirit in me. I want the Holy Spirit to do what He's meant to do in me. God, if I'm called to stay, I need your enduring love. I need your miraculous power in my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Paul tells Timothy before he dies, days much like today, he says, Son, I pray that you will fan into flame, stir up that gift of God, which that Holy Spirit has put in you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. If we do our part, God will do His part. Tonight we're going to talk about that stirring. How do we let the Holy Spirit begin to fan a flame, to begin to stir? But this morning, do you want the kind of revival in your life that God wants to bring? His love, His power. God's last day forecast is revival to a church for His love and power. We're more than conquerors in Him who loved us. And He told them in the prophet Isaiah, He said, when you pass through the waters, I'll be there. Through the rivers, they'll not overflow, and you'll walk through fire, you won't be scorched. The flame won't burn you, because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. I've given these people as your ransom. God wants to stir up His people, church, to remind them it's by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Father God, we just welcome You in this place today. God, we just press pause for a moment. Not getting in a hurry. Not thinking about what happens after the close of the service. But God, right now, where am I with You? Am I willing to stay? Do I have what it takes to endure Lord, do I have a power that will overcome in me? Is there a weakness, God, that a timidity, a fear? Is fear captivating me? Do I feel fearful? Lord, I need your power. Do I have a love, Lord, that is temporary, that is fleeting, that keeps records of wrongs? Do I have a love, God, that, Lord, that doesn't endure? God, I need your love. Jesus, help us in this last days. Let us be willing to push in, God. Let us be willing to do what it takes, God, to crucify the flesh so that your love and your power would fill us up, O God. Holy Spirit, come. Just begin to lift your voices to God. We just begin to pray and just intercede. Maybe pray, if you you don't know what to pray for, just begin to pray for your neighbor. Just begin to pray for people across the aisle or across the room that God would just begin to use us, begin to bless us and fill us with His Spirit. Lord, we just welcome you in this place, God. Let's just begin to do that, church, all across this place. Let's begin to intercede for God's Spirit to move in in our midst, just to begin to change us, O God. Begin to renew us, O God. Fill us up, O God. Pour your Spirit out, Lord. Pour your Spirit out, O God. Let us empty ourselves, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just seek your face this morning, God. We just wait for your presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, God. In your presence, there is peace, God. Holy Spirit, God. We just exalt your name, God. It's not by might nor by power, but, Lord, by your Spirit. Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Worthy are you, O God. Worthy are you, O God. Stir up your church, O God. Stir up your church, O God. Move in us, O God. Let us not just go through the motions. Let us not just be here because it's Sunday, but God, let us be a people. Lord God, look in anticipation for your soon coming, God. Fill with love and power, O God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord God. Lord, we're just waiting on you this morning, God. Just waiting on you. Let's just waiting for your spirit to just move in this place, God. 
Lord, let us just take in your word, God, this morning. Not just to hear it, but to be hearing and doing, Father.